Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm at Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early stage startup or still in ideation, then Launchpan is the course designed just for you. All of the basics and more, saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching and growing your food, beverage, or small goods business. More details available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and today I'm welcoming to the podcast Philip Cupins. He is the Vice President of Global Sales and Marketing at the Pickle Juice Company, and acknowledging at the same time that the Pickle Juice Company might be somewhat of a limiting title. Having nothing to do with cucumbers, this innovative brand uses a proprietary grain and blend of vinegar that blocks nerve signals being sent from the brain to muscles that initiate cramping. Pickle Juice is just the kind of no-spin, real-deal, game-changing product that he loves to bring to market. And indeed, the beverage is highly researched, has study-backed benefits, and still you know it's delivering results when elite athletes on the field, completely unsponsored, are televised chugging pickle juice on the sidelines. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. Okay, so pickle juice. All right, so I, I, I chugged my, well, no, I sipped mine. <laughs> All right, and, 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 and I know because I said, okay, this really can't be like, pickle, come on, pickle juice. It tastes like pickle juice, but obviously that's not, how it works. So can you tell us a little bit about why you call it pickle juice and how it works? Sure. So we didn't set out to create a flavor profile per se. The flavor profile was sort of an accidental effect of a combination of functional ingredients. So we we found that we when we created this product, it was designed specifically to be a neural inhibitor. It was kind of tasting like pickles. So we leaned into that a little bit because it was the most familiar profile we could find. And we figured if you're going to consume something that is, is this overwhelming, we should sort of prepare you for it so that experience isn't, isn't uh, completely foreign. And we lean into it. Uh, we've owned the, the name Pickle Juice. It's been trademarked since 2001. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it is a trade name like Band-Aid or Xerox or Kleenex or Thermos. And uh, that the generic equivalent in the jar is, should be referred to as Pickle Brine as opposed to Pickle Juice. But since we're the folks pushing all the science and educating athletes on, on how neural inhibition works and all that stuff. Our, our name kind of gets tossed around and, and once in a while gets confused for, for the stuff in the jar. So we have to re-educate so, people a little so bit. So it's not full of sodium and other things, but it does have a touch of dill. It does have a touch of dill. Uh, we use that as an emulsifier to get all the other ingredients to play well together. But it, it, it is in fact full of sodium. A lot of people don't realize that Sodium is the primary electrolyte in the human body. So uh, oftentimes when people say, oh, wow, sodium's so bad, I, I A, refer them to the, the studies from the 70s that were sponsored by the sugar industry that have been since <laughs> disproven. But uh, also, you, you often ask people if, if, they, if they think sodium's bad, they'll say yes, and then ask them if they think electrolytes are good, and they'll say yes. And then when you tell them that 62% of the electrolytes in the human body are sodium, they get confused for a second, <laughs> but, but yeah, so we use a, a, a one-two punch. So the way a muscle cramp works, it's, it's actually a neurological response to a physiological trigger. And that's why if you ever talk to somebody 
about muscle cramps. You can talk to 10 people and get 12 different answers. You'll hear stretch, hydrate, uh, sodium, potassium, magnesium, eat a banana, whatever. We've, we've, we've heard them on before. But the reality is there, there are about a dozen or so different triggers that can tell uh, your brain to respond by saying, hey, there's, there's something wrong in that muscle group. Let's affect a massage from the inside out, right? So if you ever get an exercise-induced cramp, it's usually preceded by rapid-fire twinging. Mm-hmm. That rapid fire twinging is the attempt of attempted corrective response, and at some point the release signal can't keep up with the corresponding engage signal. Much like a a, a traffic tunnel, for instance, uh, a neural pathway can only process so much information. So that neural signal gets disrupted uh, because it can only process so much information. And what we do is we block that entire. Uh, signal by overwhelming it with the acetic acid we choose. So acetic acid, much like alcohol, has a large range, right? So you have on the low end, you'll have like a apple cider vinegar. And on the very high end, you have glacial acid. So we've identified a proprietary grain that engages the, the, the very narrow window that targets the same nerve receptors that cause cramping. So we're overwhelming that neural pathway with information and it releases the cramp within about 60 seconds. It's pretty wow. cool. Yeah. And, and and so most of us are familiar with other purported types of electrolyte thing, Gatorade, Powerade, whatever. Obviously, a huge difference between those things and higher strength pickle juice. Right. Uh, yeah. Again, they are a, a lot of those beverages are based uh, solely on electrolyte uh, absorption, whereas we're not. We our product works at the neurological level rather than the physiological level, so it releases the neural pathway which is causing the cramp, and then we follow it up with the electrolytes. But our electrolyte content is about 10 to 12 times as high as what you would find in traditional sports drinks, though we don't have any artificial colors, flavors, or sugars in our product. Uh, thus, the, the entire product is designed to be efficacious. And, and functional. Correct. Um, and, and yeah, and and pretty uh, pretty amazing. So I, I was actually sharing with Philip um, before we started recording about the fact that when originally I was introduced to him and the product, I was going to a meeting, and the fellow that I was meeting with happens to be a pretty well known in, in in Idaho mountain climber. Uh, he's been on TV, as a matter of fact, in a movie. Um, and I explained to him, "Oh yeah, pickle juice," and he's like, "Whoa." Well, where, where can I get it? Where can I? He knew immediately about the science and everything, and said, "Oh yeah, I, I need some of this stuff." And I'm going, "Okay, well, that's that's the pros, so they know, and uh, it's really cool." Um, let Let me ask you, Philip, about how did you get here? So a little bit about your background, CPG and stuff, and in you know, how did you get to pickle juice? Sure, I I I started with uh, I've worked for three pretty big, well, really big companies uh, prior to um, joining the pickle juice venture. Um, I, I worked in um, uh, food service foods for a, a really large organization. Well, at the time, it was just H.J. Heinz. Now it's Kraft Heinz. And then I worked for uh, home entertainment for Warner Brothers, uh, selling DVDs and Blu-rays, if you remember what those things were. Sure. And, and, then, and then for 20th Century Fox. So then people said, well, why'd you leave that industry? And I say, when was the last time you bought a DVD? So the industry just shifted, but it was um, it, it was a really interesting industry to get my feet wet in because the home entertainment industry had two very unique uh, characteristics. One is that you had about a an eighty percent decay rate 
of every single SKU you've ever released over the first four weeks of its life. And two, the retailers had 100% return privileges. So we got really, really good at forecasting. Um, And and that kind of created a foundation that I didn't realize was being created about uh, operating in a a hyper-efficient environment, which sort of contributed to how we go to market with with pickle juice and we created sort of a a unique a, approach to market as a as a result of those prior experiences and bring some of that that forward with you for, for sure um did you have an entrepreneurial bent before this i i i, I think it was always there I, i've i've always been sort of attracted to uh, unique challenges, and I think everybody that knows me will say that I've I've never been somebody that just kind of uh, settle and 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 do what everybody else is doing. So uh, in in my personal and social life, I've always taken on challenges that that are sort of unique, whether it be you know freestyle skiing or skateboarding or playing rugby or doing these things that most quote unquote normal kids aren't really into. So I've always had this like sense of risk and adventure. Um, so I think it's always been there, though. Though, other than um, uh, Lakewood Lawns, which is a company that twelve-year-old me started <laughs> to make some extra cash, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever really uh, started very man- many big ventures. Other than uh, a couple of small ones, uh, owned a medical spa that 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 yeah. ended up not doing well. <laughs> but but yeah, it's always kind of been there. There there are, and I'm sure they were at Heinz in 20th century too. But there are some people that are more like entrepreneurs so you know they have that idea of innovation and pushing forward and all of those things but they they tend not to stick around necessarily all that long or if they do they they kind of mend their ways um because at the other end you have you know in in larger cpg is this idea of okay so the big thing the big risk we're going to take this year is we're going to add the 17th flavor to the line Right. And, you know, and, right. And it's like, oh, please help me with this. I got I got to find some innovation, something, you know, somewhere else. But, you know, that's good. Um, did you in, in terms of, of, of pickle juice background now, um, did you meet some people who had worked with pickle juice or 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 electrolytes in, in, in general or replacements? How did how'd that occur? Yeah, that's exactly it. When people ask me when the pickle juice company was founded, I say that there are two answers to that. So uh, originally, the original founder, who has long since been uh, not affiliated with the organization, uh, was pickling, was bottling pickle brine because, uh, and that was inspired by an NFL game in September of 2000. It was the between the, the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, and you can still look it up as the pickle brine game, but. It was the hottest game on record. The Cowboys were favored to win. The Eagles end up winning in relatively convincing fashion. After the game, the uh, athletic trainers for the Eagles were being asked why their players weren't cramping and the Cowboys were, and they said they were drinking pickled brine. So um, this guy who was a a grocery manager uh, found another guy who owned a pickle company and started bottling uh, pickled brine. And until 2015, it was sort of a very limited distribution, more of a, a novelty type of business. And then the um, a friend of mine that, that I knew socially um, had context to these guys and said, hey, they, they want to make this thing bigger. They want to invest some money into it. Take a look. So we took a look at it and, and sort of um, made 
a, a few tiny minor changes, i.e. changing the entire go-to-market, entire look, entire branding, entire formula, but, you know, small little tweaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but after but making other those, than that, uh, yeah. other than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we changed everything, but yeah, we kept the yeah. name. Right, right. And uh, since then, we've grown to um, about 10,000 10, brick and mortar outlets in the United States from about 305 years. And we've also opened divisions in South Africa, Australia, and Canada. Ah. We're working on opening Europe. We've been considered a couple of times one of the fastest growing food and beverage companies in North America and, and by extension, probably globally. Wow. Yeah. And that seems to me that would be just a, a lot of fun with, with something as unique as this. So when you obviously you guys have got NFL and you've got other high exertion sports that this can be used to to help the athlete. So your target audience not a problem in defining. But other than being associated with the team, how did you? What was your guys' marketing plan? How did you start out and and you know and and get to where you've got? You know, I, I think I, I think what a lot of uh, your listeners want to hear is how do you bring something to market very fast and a keep your supply chain full and to do without spending a ton of money, right? Let's right. be honest. So what we did was we, we developed a sort of a hybrid model that is part traditional CB, CPG distribution strategy, part experiential, and part mission-based. So the really neat thing is that we have a product that is, it's a functional product that is acutely efficacious, meaning I can give you this product when you're cramping and your cramp will be gone in 60 seconds. So I can prove ef efficacy to you in less than a minute. So now the challenge is how do I find you when you're cramping, right? So um, we, we realized it was inappropriate to uh, directly target people who get nighttime leg cramps <laughs> through the experiential model. <laughs> well, I mean, pharma, big pharma has no problem with. <laughs> right, right, right. We're, but uh, yes, Santa Claus didn't want to go into people's houses and deliver pickle juice to, uh, yeah. year round. <laughs> he said he was making toys. But, but all kidding aside, what we partner with about um, 400 different nonprofit charity events. And here in, in the next couple of months, in, in, in May and June, we should start seeing a resumption of those types of activities. Right. Um, so we really, we work with a lot of uh, long distance running events and I'm not, I'm not talking marathons. I'm talking like ultra marathons. Uh, we do a lot of endurance cycling events, like hundred miles, milers and stuff. And we tend to exclusively work with events uh, with some exception that are, that are charity based. And what we do is we, we provide product to these aid stations and, we find environments where people are very prone to camping and let them have the product. And right. the interesting thing about the individual endurance athlete is that they're a very vocal group because they tend to do their own nutrition research they, and they do it through social media. Yep. And we learn that if for every NFL team, while the credibility aspect ratio is really, really high, the repeatability ratio tends to be pretty low because you have you tend to have a, a, a highly educated athletic trainer or nutritionist that is being trusted by the consumer of the product. So it's less likely that the consumer of that product is going to be vocally advocating for it. All they know is that somebody who's, who's, who's paid to make their problems go away succeeded in their job, um, with, with some exceptions, of course. But the endurance athletes, it, it, 
the the, the level of testimonials that we get from people are, are it are it's it's really cool. It's moving. It's that you know it's that one shot on the golf course that keeps you coming back. Frankly, it's it's really inspiring. And then the the mission based component to further that is that we unapologetically favor um, the development of professional women's sports because. You know, we see sports like cycling and soccer and stuff where the gender pay gap, it, it, frankly, it needs to be corrected. So we have a, uh, a very, very successful professional women's cycling team that we sponsor, but we don't have a men's team. Yeah. Um, and we will unapologetically do the same for other women's sports. We've had a partnership with Girls Rugby for a long time and, and some other organizations. Um, because we frankly feel that's the right thing to do. And the third component of our go-to-market strategy is is your traditional CPG. So you have this first two, which is the credibility components, the awareness component, and the third part is brick and mortar shelves. We started with grocery. Uh, we're just now in 2021, starting to focus a little more on, on C-store and impulse categories because we really wanted to focus on organically and genuinely building our brand before we, um, got got tempted to go into the impulse category before people really knew what we were. We felt it was really important to differentiate our product from misconceptions because A, we're not only re-educating people on the difference between pickle brine and pickle juice, we're also trying to educate people on how muscle cramps work and how sports drinks work. So there's a lot of education on a very small bottle that needs to take place. So we had to rely on on the word getting out and and you know, the NFL testimonials, the editorials sure. and all that stuff. So it, it became more of a household name before we went into impulse. So we really think that this uh, th- this next year is going to represent a, a, s- a super hy- hyper uh, growth component, even though we've been growing 40 to 55% every year uh, for the past five or six years. It was interesting that you mentioned, though, at the, at the sort of the endurance athlete area and whatever it's much more sort of a solo thing as opposed to um nfl team i have a bank of nutritionists medical people and whatever else that are kind of you know speaking to this and that's good and and by the way folks uh a couple things first of all is if you're just like just chomping at the bit right now going oh i gotta go climb a mountain i i need to get this stuff uh check out uh www.picklepower.com and you are available as well on amazon and other e-commerce sites they can do that. And uh, it is USDA certified organic in case anybody was worried about that. So that's right. That that's, that's pretty awesome. You know, um, did you, so in grocery, okay. Um, you come in, where did they want to put you or where did they end up putting you? And how did you deal with this? I'm a medicine, I'm a supplement. I'm, I'm in the pickle area. What, how'd you deal with that? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of a, that's kind okay. of an interesting challenge because uh, we we are a little bit of everywhere. Um, we find that our highest turns are in isotonics, but there are a couple of really big companies that work very hard to uh, secure VMI, right? So a lot of times mm-hmm. there are big competitors that own that space. So we don't need, at that point you don't have to convince the buyer; you have to convince your competitor to put it in there. Um, so when we walk into those situations, we'll often go into uh, functional beverage or the um, supplement space. But we, you know, if you go into Walmart, you'll find us in the pickle aisle. It, it, and so we, we've uh, it, we we joke that you know we we've done everything to fail 
uh, yet we accidentally keep succeeding there because it's it's <laughs> kind of like it's the wrong skew in the wrong aisle at the wrong price point, but somehow we're still turning right, 10 right. I, per I, week. I, I'm <laughs> just imagining some young millennial, uh, you know, chopping up their red onion and pouring this stuff on it, thinking, "Hey, I'm going to have pickled onions for dinner." It's going to, it's gonna right. <laughs> um, but it, but it, it, it is one of the challenges of stuff that doesn't neatly fit into. Like I could go in and say in a presentation, "Hey, wherever you have five hour energy, just put it right, right next to five hour energy. We're fine." Um, but there are other things that have functional uh, things to them. It, tea is one of them. So it's, it's you know, you have like traditional medicinals. You have teas that are function-based, condition-based, basically medicinal, but they don't sit there. They sit in the tea section. And having right. had conversations and presentations to buyers to try to get a dual placement, to try to understand that, no, this is, this is a, a person who's looking for a stool softening agent. This just happens to be a tea, right? You, you have them in pills, you have them in capsules, you have them in Metamucil, right? Please let us have you know a facing in that section because I need the person who has the condition looking for it. And somewhat similar here in the fact that if I'm not really at that level where I'm experiencing this kind of stuff, I'm going, well, why do I need to take that? I don't have any cramping. Well, because because you're not, you know, you're not there yet. But that's a that's challenge going C stores, that should be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not but, running. I'm going by I'm going by Wawa. Hey, I need to go and get my pickle juice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. And 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 that's such a common experience, right? But going going back to that experience with the buyer that you're you're talking to, we we've struggled with that, particularly in the in the pharmacy sets. We we were like, hey, you know, fifty percent of Americans get muscle cramps because we we think of muscle cramps as exercise induced, right? And we're like, well, I'm not a top athlete. People often forget that there's a a huge portion of our aging aging population that get nighttime leg cramps or foot cramps and, and sure. this product works really well for that so we're targeting that audience as well and the other the, the other uh, consumer that we have is is the outdoor worker the roofer the yard guy that uh that's mm-hmm. out or the DIY, diy person um that's out all day long sweating profusely uh they want this because it works and they don't have caffeine or sugar crashes to contend with but that is something we, that we struggle with we're like please put this in your set near where you put things for for muscle cramps because and then we wanted we thought it'd be great to be able to educate the pharmacist because the the consumer experience in that space tends to be go to the pharmacist say hey i get these muscle cramps what do you suggest what for do? right and then right. we can edu- tell them Oh, go get the pickle juice. It's on L3. We haven't had success with that because of, to your point, the the T example of getting people to really, and, and it's, it's, it's not at the consumer level because I think that's starting to happen. We're starting to see more, uh, a, a big emergence of natural functional products that aren't hokey, that, that are really legitimate alternatives to, to medicine. And we're, we're seeing that with, you know, the, the growing popularity of things like CBD and, and things like that, the normalization right, of right. natural alternatives to pharmaceuticals. Right. But sometimes um, corporate cultures and buying cultures are, are, are slower to adapt. Um, some are more aggressive than others. And, and we knew that's what we were facing. But I mean, heck, in 1999, when Red Bull came to the United States, the energy category didn't exist, right? Can you imagine, right. Can you imagine how that pitch for, went? I'm going to sell you something that you don't you you might not like the flavor of in a can that doesn't fit your planogram. 
<laughs> and oh, within a de- within a decade, it's going to be half the vaults in the C stores. <laughs> well, there's one of the one of the things too that it, it, to that it, it, I think a lot of CPG you know entrepreneurs um, kind of forget about, and that is the fact that when you venture from I'm producing this, um, I want to get into the consumer, I'm going to go through retail, and the larger the retail, the harder this is. It's you move from a supplement company, food company, beverage company to logistics. And so much of retail is built on that historical logistic and, and siloed. I mean, just in, in the sense that, um, you know, you can't, it would be advantageous for everybody if you could walk into a grocery store, into the produce section and buy everything you need to make your salad. That would include bacon bits, cheese, right? But you can't because they don't sell cheese and produce and they don't sell bacon bits and produce. Bacon bits is over here in the center store, right? Cheese is, and by the way, we don't mind you walking, making that walk because you're going to pick up something else while you're there. So there's, there's that kind of a challenge. And then the other challenge sometimes is, I think with products is also pricing, which is certain categories are built on turns and margin. And if you don't make the turns and margin in that category, they're just not going to give you any space and, and work through it. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things you're thinking about. And I think emerging brands and well, CBD, perfect example, but also innovative, disruptive type of brands like yours is, what do I do with this? I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm not sure where, you know, where it goes. But I, I love the fact that Walmart puts you in with pickles. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> what would be no, they, amazing would be to see what your, what your velocity is in there versus, you know, other places, you know, because it, it might just work. People might go, oh yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Because I'm a consumer and I can become aware of it. Where am I going to go look for it when I go in the store? So you, yeah. you, know, you have a store locator, you need an aisle locator on your website, right? You know, it's like, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not wrong. Um, historically, we've seen our highest turns in isotonics, but, you know, you, you, we talked about the, um, the pickle aisle example at Walmart, for instance, and we... We look at those numbers weekly, obviously, and we we've seen a significant level of same store growth year over year, which we attribute to consumer conditioning. People know to get it there. They they uh, so we we recognize that there was some time for that con, uh, consumer to learn to go there for the product, but once they got there, um, they started coming back. So uh, our our same store sales in non traditional plate uh, categories are tend to be somewhere between 17 to 25% up year over year for the first three to four years. And then they sort of, then they sort of stabilize when, when they, when they peak. So there is an element of that. Um, uh, The good news is it's usually generally not that hard to anniversary your numbers. If you're educating (laughs) consumers. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, How about, how about your, what was your, um, I mean, obviously, you, you kind of started out on the retail side, but let's talk a little bit about direct to consumer and how you deal with that. Um, your tribe, your mission. How'd you guys approach that? Right. So, one of the things we wanted to do was create a a, a fairly fluid experience through all classes of trade, which is a lot easier said than done, right? So, conceptually, you you work from the shelf backwards in order to. Uh, make sure that you avoid things like share shifting and and right. and things like that. So, but we we also recognize that there are different consumers in different spaces, and we also know that one of our 
key credibility spaces is the specialty retailer running stores and cycling uh, stores. Sure. And they, because of their historical distribution infrastructures, it's very difficult for them to be competitive with, you know, direct fulfillment uh, yep. mass retailers that have their own DCs that are buying truckloads. Right. Right. So we, we worked very hard on creating programs so that the, the pricing Delta was, consumer tolerable, right? So that we we kind of figured what's an acceptable price variance for convenience first destination. Yep. And and we've been pretty successful in that space. So to that end, we in our 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 B2C experience, which was sort of forced upon us because we're shipping class 60, which is you know, liquids heavy. Right. Uh, so sure. our B2C our B2C consu- uh, consumers uh, tend to only be able to buy case lot quantities at a time, yep. which protects our B2B business as well. So um, that's kind of how we work around it. And I think it's being completely candid. It's it's more luck than strategy in that space, right? If I was sending, selling ones and ones on, on, yep. on the web or through uh, third-party online retailers, that pricing strategy would be a lot more complex than it is. But if I'm shipping, if I'm sending a case online versus an individual individual unit and bricks and, bricks and mortar, it, it it's a lot easier to to work in that space. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it makes some sense too, also because in terms of usage, probably people who are going to do that don't want to have just one anyway. They're going to, you know, there's not like they're exercising once a week or you know whatever. I mean, there probably be some of them are, but uh, a little bit more open. Um, and constant, if you will, usage once you realize that it, you know, that it works, figure it out. So, right. Yeah. Um, In terms of, you talked about this just a little bit, but I want to hit back on it again is, so you guys just decided not to go out and hire some athlete to be your spokesperson, to be your, you know, uh, message person. Did you guys do that deliberately? Was it a, a money thing? How did that come about? No, I I think it's for us. It's about um, honesty and transparency. We have a, a really broad um, group of brand ambassadors that are that are super passionate um, users of our product, and they range from world class Olympian, world record holding, World Cup winning, uh, top tier athletes to some. You know the. The, the local athlete that is just super passionate about our products and, and is consistent with what we believe our culture, our, our, our brand culture should be. And they are happy to scream, um, <laughs> our, to scream our name from the rooftops. And, and we, we create a collaborative partnerships that are not necessarily paid for in cash, but they're, they're paid for through, um, I mean, they, they become family members and, and I'm not saying that to be cliche. So, you know, oftentimes through our partnerships with events, we can get some free entries or we can get them, you know, exposure through our PR, uh, PR partners and things like that. So we really believe in, in genuine, honest partnerships and we will very rarely, if ever, initiate the conversation with athletes or events we usually let them come to us and that's because for two reasons one we want people that are are, are genuinely passionate about our mission and our product and two uh, we figure that's more fair 
um, because we we mm-hmm. we want to be accessible to everybody, but we can't obviously call every single ultra runner in the world and say, "Hey, would you like to be one of our brand ambassadors?" So so we don't we 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 don't solicit actively for events or or athletes. Um, nor do we pay. We don't pay to play. There are, uh, and, and trust me, Steve. There are a lot of events that I'm personally a fan of that I've been to, I've competed in, that I'd love to be part of professionally. But I think it's unfair for all of our in-kind partners if we start paying an event here, not there. So we we try to be as consistent as we possibly can and leave everything with uh, at the in-kind level, and we work really, really hard to have our brand ambassadors excited about being partners with us. So by not writing checks, Philip, you realize that we're not going to see the coach getting, you know, doused by a bucket of pickle juice. That's just not going to probably happen in the near future, but <laughs> That's, you, you, know, you never know. You never know. <laughs> um, if you can, without, you know, getting proprietary, whatever, can you talk a little bit about what are you guys looking at some, I'm going to say new flavors, but new products or new applications or does the science work also for something other than just cramping anything in the future coming down the coming down the pike yeah so we've we spent a lot of time in the lab um and and we view ourselves more like a a functional beverage company than we do a, a pickle juice company and because the we look at uh specific components of of products as functional ingredients uh so we're not necessarily married to neural inhibitors. Uh, we we expand the, those experiences. So we're we're now experimenting in the in the CBD space. We are also working on a product that hyper concentrates the nitrates found in beets in order to increase VO two max in athletes. Uh, the the problem with that is with the hyper concentration, I haven't figured out how to stabilize it and prevent it from fermenting and turning into really bad wine without, without <laughs> mm, pasteurization wine. or mm. preservatives. Yeah, not great. I no, do not recommend no. that. <laughs> but we're, and we're also looking at a um, a, a recovery product, pre workout product. So we're oh, we're yeah. al- we're always looking at different ways to, frankly disrupt the pharmaceutical industry without them suing us. No. <laughs> I, I, I would suggest also you could probably, you know, um, a cocktail mixer or non-alcohol mixer is probably, you know, could, 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 there could be something in that. You know, we have one and we just don't market it. And, and the funny oh, thing is, in seriously? order to, I love it. We, we have it. And, and, and Steve, we developed it, frankly, to protect our trademark more than anything else. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And because we weren't actively marketing to, the um, bar and beverage industry and and pickleback shots are a thing. Yeah. So we saw that somebody had released a pickle juice intended f- for cocktail mixes, and we we sent him a cease and desist. And <laughs> oh. you know, as as we do, you know, we send probably more than we'd like to, to be honest. But um, and uh, and we actually lost that case. It was the only trademark case we lost we've ever lost. And it was because we weren't actively marketing to um, the bar and beverage scene. In that segment, yeah. So yeah, so within a week, we had we had our pickle juice chaser, <laughs> and <laughs> and, we, and we and we haven't lost a, a a trademark protection suit since. But but yeah, it exists. We just we're very careful not to go down the kind of novelty pathway, right? So we're very delicate about how we actively promote uses other than 
cramping and hydration because we don't want people to think this is like a you know you start selling it and promoting it for other things we've seen this in cbd over the past couple of years people oh, start yeah. misconstruing it seeing it kind of as the next snake oil right so we we don't we're very very careful about where we actively target to go to yeah because that yeah that could could happen and there's there's as you both we know there's stuff out there that you know fits that bill and you don't want to you don't want to be there um one of the things Philip, because you guys have done sort of a very interesting job in i think in some ways taking a 180 degree approach from what would be sort of a traditional cpg build uh to get something that's been uh you know really successful and you know and 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 just answers a need obviously that uh was trying to be satisfied by some other stuff including brine um so you know that that's really interesting um because the audience is uh, as you know is uh, a lot of fellow entrepreneurs that are out there and and going through challenges um can you reach back either with pickle juice or or in your career before uh, and talk to us a little bit about a you know a biggest challenge that you had and how you managed to overcome it yeah, and I I think we we sort of touched on it earlier, right? And it's that that's and I think the one one thing most entrepreneurs face, and it's the um, it's it's kind of the old adage in in the restaurant world, right? A, a great chef does not always a great restaurateur make, which means that just because you have an incredible concept and idea doesn't mean you can bring it to market, right? So it's yeah, be self aware about what tools and resources you need and have a plan to get them because most businesses fail because they run out of cash. And that's because they're so focused on the product that they lose sight of the infrastructure. Um, so I think my advice would be that if, if an entrepreneur out there, because I, I'm going to say most of them start with a product idea, right? So I'm making that assumption. Yep. If you if you don't know how to bring it to market, find somebody who does. Um, and 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 heck, if 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 your product doesn't compete with mine, but you want to pursue a similar strategy, give us a call. We're always happy to lend an ear. But um, and I mean that because uh, you know we we we've all been there. And I think I would suggest to people that don't don't be afraid to to ask for help. I, I was amazed at, at how many people were willing to help, especially those of us who come from large corporations where oh, sure yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, a good, it's a good community in that sense yeah yeah and, and we're just not used to collaborative environments in those big corporations right it's, it's always about posturing for the next position promotion unfortunately some some companies are better at that than others but um but i i would say i i've i've kind of learned from uh chipping my teeth and, and kind of trial and error and that's easily avoided by reaching out to people and and most of us have no problem sharing our stories and and, and heck i've even stumbled into collaborations where <laughs> With, uh, accidentally right you're, yeah, you're yeah. talking to somebody about some hey you do this really well and i do the other thing pretty well let's combine forces and and we can yeah, do the get, things we do well yeah introduced to people you know and they say oh so so and you go, oh well you know as it happens i worked in ice cream for a few years and we can you know have you thought about x and you know you go from there it's really great well hey i want to thank you phil for taking the time to uh to be with us today and to tell us more about the uh interesting pickle juice story uh folks www.picklepower.com to find out more and you can find it in a lot of places although you may have to look a little bit but that's right that's okay it's gonna be worth it all right thanks Philip. we really appreciate it 
And thanks uh, to all of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. Podcast today brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.